first century Jerusalem, you would see a group of disciples or students walking through the streets and among them leading the way their teacher, their rabbi. So valuable was the opportunity to follow the rabbi that you longed to be covered in the dust of his feet. Jesus of Nazareth was walking those ancient streets. Today, Jesus is still calling disciples. Come, follow me, that all who draw near may be covered in dust. Hey, good morning, Rat City Church. How you guys doing? Oh, bringing the power today. Uh, I love that with Nolan. He, he, we never pray during like announcements, but he was like, I can't end with talking about bacon wrap fillets and then go straight into God's word. So let's let us pray. Right. Oh, oh that's why I just call him beef daddy. All right. So uh, open your Bibles. Hey, wh- here's what we're going to be doing. We're, we're looking at the, we started this series called Covered in Dust. And what we're looking at is this idea that Jesus did not come to convert people to Christianity. He came to call disciples. When we read through the New Testament, the word Christian is used three times, yet the word disciple is used 269 times. We want to be a people who follow after Jesus. And so this ancient idiom would come about, this phrase would come about, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And that is what we want as followers of Jesus. So we are, we are embarking on a journey to be disciples of Jesus. Whether you have been a part of church for decades, your call is to be a disciple. Your call is to follow after Jesus, to, to know him, to be like him, and then to be a disciple maker. But may, maybe you are new to church and you're just exploring, hey, I'm checking things out. The goal is not to convert you to some religion. The goal is that you would meet Jesus and that you would fall in love with him and you would realize that he wants to spend time with you. He wants to shape you into his image and he wants you to join him on his kingdom bringing mission. And so what is a disciple? Let me start with a quote uh, for those of you guys who love that intellectual prowess. And then let me, let's go to a Venn diagram for those of you guys who that is your jam. Okay, what is a disciple? Dallas Willard, I'll be constantly quoting him. But he says, a disciple is a person who has decided the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. A disciple is not a person who has things under control or knows a lot of things. Disciples simply are people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. And so we gave this overview last week, and we looked at this, these three things. What is a disciple? First, a disciple is somebody who spends time with Jesus. A, a, a disciple spends time with their rabbi, and so we have to have that. But as we spend time with Jesus, we need to become like Jesus. We walk and we talk and we act like their rabbi because we're so saturated in his voice in our life. And then a disciple, we, as a disciple, we do what Jesus did. We join Jesus on his kingdom mission. We have to see that everything, everything we ever want to do for God flows out of intimacy with God. And so we're constantly saying, what does it look like for us to follow after Jesus? Now, how do we do that? Well, for 2,000 years, uh, disciples have been following Jesus, and, and one of the ways we participate in that and that we're going to be engaging in over the coming months is something called spiritual practices, or maybe you've heard it referred to as spiritual disciplines or even relational practices. I think these are all really helpful, effective terms, and they all essentially mean the same thing, right? That, that, we, that we would engage and we would participate in a way. So let me give you a definition of what, when we're talking about spiritual practices. We're talking about spiritual disciplines. Let me give you a definition that I think will be helpful. Spiritual practices, they're actionable habits. They're something that you do that allows us to participate in living the way of Jesus in our everyday life. And that we could actually walk like Jesus. They're built around how Jesus walked how Jesus lived so that we could then also be people who walk in the way that Jesus did. That, that, we, that in our everyday life, that we are living what the early Christians called, these early disciples called the way. They would live the way. They would walk in the way of Jesus. And these practices, what do they do? They draw us close to Jesus. They mold us into the image of Jesus, and they form us into kingdom-bringing disciple 
makers. That's what a disciple is. We are people who spend time with Jesus. And one of the ways we do it is through these spiritual practices. We are people who are made more and more, formed more and more into the image of Jesus. And how do we do that? Through One of the primary ways is through engaging in spiritual disciplines. And then we're formed into kingdom bringing disciple makers. And how do we do that? Through these relational practices. Now, a, a couple things before we engage in our first one uh, and, and start walking through our first one that, that, that I think are helpful. First, um, I don't want us to think primarily mind, but we need to think heart, okay? We, we are not just cognitive beings. God did not make human beings at, at the very center it is, okay, I think, therefore I am. That's very, that's very Cartesian, okay? We need to be, we understand that we are relational beings, Okay, it's beyond just cognitive. And, and we know this because when we read in Scripture and we see the call of Jesus, what is, the prime, what, is the, what is the fulfillment of the Old Testament? What is the most important thing we do? Jesus says that we would be people who love God and we love others. It, it's relational at its foundation. So we, we, end up, we need to understand that we are reorienting our loves. The reason we engage in these is not so that we um, can check a religious box or not so we can know more information. We are not just re-educating our minds or disciplining our wills. We are reorientating, reorientating our love. So think of it like a new relationship, right? You, you meet a friend or, or you start dating someone. Any kind of new relationship, there's an investment there, isn't there? You spend time learning each other's stories, spending time with one another, listening to one another, confessing fears and insecurities. You're vulnerable. You struggle. You celebrate. You repent and you forgive. It's a relational dynamic. We need to understand in order for us to grow deeper with the Lord, it's a relational dynamic. This is not just gaining information. We do not study the Bible just to gain information. We do not pray just to accomplish something. Relationship is at the center of these relational practice. And, and our greatest calling it, it is to love God. And real love, it actually requires knowledge and vulnerability and sacrifice. And so we're engaging in these things for a purpose. Paul, Paul is writing to this young pastor, and he's kind of teaching this, this guy, Timothy, how, how to lead a church. And he, and he says this, he says, train yourself in godliness. For while, the bo while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. You, you see that? Word that the, the word there is train. So we are engaging. We are participating. We are taking these, we are building actionable habits. We're training for what? For relationship. To be shaped more and more in the image of Christ. And so th that's the drive behind the effort. And so he here's a list of, of a bunch of them we're going to be coming, going over in the coming months. This is not exhaustive. This is not all the spiritual disciplines you'll find in Scripture. There may be ones that you're like, ah, I never thought about that. And there also may be ones um, that you're like, okay, where's this at? And, and this, as we embrace, embark on this journey, um, there's a good chance that this, really, that this really grows. But when you see these relational practices, I want, you to, I want you to think of them as a door, okay? So like a few years ago, uh, my wife and I, we built a house and she, one of the things she was most particular about was the front door. Okay, this is the wood it needs to be made out of, and it has to have these different glass panels, right? And, and it's fun. Like, you walk up, and you're like, oh, that's a nice door, right? Then after that, after the first time you go in, you don't care about the door. She does. I don't care about the door anymore, right? You don't walk up. The purpose of the door is not to walk up to a door and be like, oh, man, this door is just amazing. It's wonderful. And then walk away from our house, right? No, we want you to come in. We want you to, we want you to enter into our house. Spiritual practices, I want you to think of them as a doorway. You, you're not studying prayer just so you can be like, oh, I know all about prayer. Prayer is a doorway to relationship. You're not opening your Bible just so you can know the ins and outs of your Bible. You're opening your Bible because it's a gateway to relationship. You're, you're entering in. So this is a, a shift and a study uh, uh, that we need to have as we embark on these things, as we practice them. And so here's what I, I want to look initially at, at the book of Colossians today. And uh, so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. 
We're going to spend some time uh, in Colossians and, and em, em, embark on some exercises a little bit. Um, if you don't have a Bible, it, um, you can grab a Bible around you or the passage is going to be on the screen. But I'm going to read starting in verse 9. And the context is Paul, he's writing to this church and he's sharing the joy that he has watched them grow as he's watched them grow in the gospel. And then he shares his prayer. And I want you to see um, what we're talking about with discipleship in the context of this prayer that he has for them. Verse 9, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. What is that? That you would know him deeply in the word, that you would be close to, that you would understand Jesus through the word in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, I want you to see this flow here. What, what, where does it start? It starts with this idea of be with Jesus, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you would know him, you would spend time with him. And where does that lead? To becoming like Jesus. So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, here's one of the things I just want to say right off the bat. As we look at this idea of studying God's word today, so many of us, we stop here. We stop at this idea of knowledge. And, and we know theology. And we want to know doctrine. And we want to know scripture and verse and this and that. But we don't allow it to change us. We don't allow it to, to make us look more and more like Jesus. Some of the most um, brutal people I've been around in church are people who know a whole lot but look nothing like Christ. No, th there's a purpose. And you see this so that you would become like Jesus. You would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in him. And then what would come? That we would do what Jesus did. That we would bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You, you see this flow. This is, this is important for us. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is why we walk in these ways. And at the end, we see in verse 28 and 29, at the end of this chapter, he kind of, he kind of like reveals all his cards. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says that's the goal of, of even pastoral ministry. And so as a church, and we've seen this expanse, and we've seen this growth, and we've seen so many people who, who are new to church and exploring things, what do we want for you? We want you to learn to follow Jesus. We want you to learn what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And as you, as you spend time with him, we want, you to see, we want to see each other made more and more into his image, that we could be a people who, who do what he did, that we go and we fulfill the Great Commission in our community, that we would make disciples of other people. And so what we're going to look at this morning is the spiritual practice of reading the scriptures. And some of you maybe have, have, have been spending your whole lives reading the scriptures, and you're, gonna, you're just going to resonate spot on with what we're talking about today. But some of you, uh, this is going to be, this is a challenge. You're like, look, I've tried like, I, I've tried to open my Bible. I, it makes no sense. I, I don't get it. But, but here's, my, here's my goal, that we as a church would be able to equip and empower each other to actually know the Bible, to study it, to be able to, to pull the fruit from it. And so, so what is the spiritual practice of reading the Scripture? It's the practice of knowing Jesus intimately and personally through hearing his voice in the ancient scriptures. That's why we spend time, that we would hear the voice of Christ. We would see in the Old Testament how it points and looks forward to the coming Messiah. We would see in the Gospels how it highlights Jesus and his life. We would see in the epistles how it looks back and it reflects how everything has changed because of Jesus. And so I want to read from Donald Whitney, who wrote this book. On, it's one of the go-to books on spiritual disciplines. And he talks about this idea of, of, of Scripture. And, and I just want you to see this. I think it's really helpful. No spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's Word. When he says intake, he's referring to, yes, reading or studying or memorizing or listening to. But no spiritual discipline is more important than the, in, the intake of God, God's Word. Nothing can substitute for it. There simply is no healthy Christian life 
apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. The reasons for this are obvious. In the Bible, God tells us about himself and especially about Jesus Christ, the incarnate God. The Bible unfolds the law of God to us and shows us how we've all broken it. There we learn how Christ died as a sinless, willing substitute for breakers of God's law and how we must repent and believe in him to be right with God. In the Bible, we learn the ways and the will of the Lord. We find in scriptures how God wants us to live and what brings us most joy and satisfaction in life. None of this eternally essential information can be found anywhere except for the scriptures. Therefore, if we would know God and be godly, we must know the word of God intimately. As we embark on this journey of what does it mean to be a disciple, this is why we're starting with we need to be a people of the book. We need to be a people who know the voice of Christ, who know the story of the gospel through the word. Now, I just want to be clear, okay? Like, the Bible is not our Savior, but the Bible is how we know the Savior. The Bible is not the gospel, but the Bible is how God has revealed and explained the gospel. The Bible is not Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the word. He's the full manifestation. He's the fulfillment of the word. But the Bible is the primary way that we can know the person of Jesus. The Bible is not discipleship, but it is our guide to becoming disciples. That's why we come back to it over and over and over. So, so what is the Bible, right? Well, thankfully, uh, we live in this city called Gresham, Oregon. And Gresham, Oregon is right next to this, um, this, this camping world, camping town called Portland, Oregon. But Portland, Oregon is this brilliant, what, is ha- what we're seeing is Portland is also this brilliant hub of like, uh, Christian influence and culture, because, because you're having the, this remnant of people who, who are staying true to Scripture, and they're making worldwide impact. Now, one of those organizations is the Bible Project. I love the Bible Project. They make incredible Bible overview videos. Uh, each book of the Bible, they, they explain Tim Mackey, brilliant teacher. John Collins, a brilliant communicator. And in three minutes, they give this incredible overview of what the Bible is. So rather than trying to say it worse, uh, we're going to watch this video. Three minutes of what is the Bible. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And These prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand-year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple, but eventually they were conquered by the Babylonians who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, 
there were other Jewish writings being produced during this second temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh, and they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. Love it. Just this brilliant overview of what is the Bible. And here's the thing. This is important for us to understand because um, especially in today's day and age where there used to be a high value of the scriptures, there used to be an understanding, it's just dismissed as just another book. And that is not the case at all, okay? The scripture, it's 66 books. It's a library written over 1,500 years by 40 different people. And somehow it has one unified story. Think about that. One unified story written over 1,500 years of different cultures and ages and all this stuff. And so does that automatically mean that it's the word of God? No, but I would say if you're doubting it, then it's worth considering as God's word. Maybe it is his message for us. And so for hundreds of years, the Bible has actually been used by historians and archaeologists to point us to civilizations and kings and kingdoms that historians were like, I, we're not, we don't think that this civilization ever actually exists. But, you know, the, the, the scriptures would say exactly rivers and landmarks where they were. And they're like, see, the the Bible is not historically accurate because they're not there. And then over time, through erosion, we would discover and we would dig and archaeologists would be like, oh, weird. Like, this actually does exist, okay? Now, does that mean it's God's word? Well, not necessarily, but it means it's historically accurate. It's a book that we can trust and we can start to build upon. Now, Many faiths, they have their ancient scriptures, and they explain what God is like. But in the the Hebrew scriptures, the primary theme of the Hebrew scriptures is a Messiah's coming. And and he's going to point us to a Messiah. Now, I was reading about like the CIA, and when they have a spy uh, come back over, they have what they call six points of identification. So they need to know that this person has not been uh, captured and replaced with a lookalike. So they would, get, they would meet them in some random city in another country. And so they would go to that random city in another country, and they would need to bring multiple identifications, all their passports that they have. They would need to go to somewhere like a coffee shop and get a vanilla latte. And then they would go and get a particular magazine, and they would go to a particular park, and they would, they would stand at a fountain facing west, and someone would come up to them and ask them a question about the weather, and they would respond about, in their Russian accent, that weather's much better here than Wisconsin, right? I'm not going to pretend to do a Russian accent, right? So, but by those six marks, they were like, did they have any doubt that this person was who they knew them to be? Absolutely not. Because they knew these six distinctions are what separate that person. It can't just be impersonated. It can't just be a lookalike. This is what the Old Testament, there's not just six marks so that we would know the Messiah. There's not just 60 marks, not even 160. There's 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah so that we would know without a doubt when he shows up, this is the son of God. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting on. It marks like where he would be born. 
Marks like uh, things about his family lineage and his parents, even countries that he would visit as a child. Because it says he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but he's also going to come out of Egypt somehow. Yet Jesus, as a young child, was, was sent, to, sent to Egypt. Specific historical details about how he would die. Things about crucifixion were written in the Old Testament scriptures before crucifixion was even invented. And people would say things like, well, they just went back and wrote all that stuff, you know, after Jesus showed up, just so it could could align. But we know the first Greek translation of the Old Testament was 250 years even before Jesus arrived. And Jesus shows up and he says, I'm that guy. Now, does that alone mean that it's God's word? No, not necessarily, but I think we're getting pretty close here, right? I think we're moving in that direction. And then Jesus, what does he do? He fulfills every one of those Old Testament prophecies. He performs miracles, and he controls storms, and he heals the sick, and he feeds the hungry. And some believed he was God, and some, like like us today, didn't. And they dismissed, and they walked away. And so Jesus says, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. And he does. He's killed. And all his followers, his disciples that spent three years with him, they scattered. They disappeared, as would any of us. Am I right? In that moment, facing what we face, but something happens to where they come back and they devote their entire life to Jesus. Every single one of them but one would be martyred and killed. And they start the movement of the church. You know what happens? They saw Jesus die and they saw him come back to life. This is why this is God's word. This is why we build our lives around because it points us over and over and over to Jesus. It shows us what it means to have relationship with him. It shows us that he is the center of all things. One of my favorite quotes, this is for Eric Brown, H.G. Wells, all right? I am a historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that the penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. And so we build our entire lives around him. And how do we know Jesus? You guys, we know him through his scriptures. Because he has inspired. The Holy Spirit has breathed out these words for us to digest and to understand. And so... How do we study the scriptures? How do we actually read through them and go through them and be like, okay, this is great. Like, I've, I've heard my whole life. I've gone to church. I've heard, like, it's so important to read. Well, this is where we, as we embark on this journey, we want to empower you. And so uh, when, when you came in, uh, you got a couple things on your seat. Uh, the first is you got a little card. And it says how to study the Bible. And it gives a breakdown called the REAP method. And then on the back are resources that I'm going to go through in a second here. But the REAP method is a way that we can reap a harvest of Scripture. And so it goes through this process of read the text and then actually examine it thoroughly. And then we need to apply it to our lives and then we pray. So so often when we read Scripture... We find ourselves just, uh, okay, I read it and I'm done. No, how do we actually dig through it? And so um, this is very untraditional. We've already watched a video during the sermon. Now you're going to engage, okay? I'm going to set a timer for five minutes. And you're going to grab that piece of paper. You see that white piece of paper and that pen? We got a bunch of pens. We we, spread them out. I want you uh, to spend time working through. I want you to read this passage. We're going to have music going. I want you to read this passage, and then I want you to just start examining. What are the things that stand out to you? What, what, what are the things that, what is this revealing to you about Jesus? And then if you get through that, you might even get to the apply section. Okay, now what, is this, what does this mean to me? And here's why we're doing this. Because I need you to see that the scriptures have been given to you as a gift, not something that just needs to be spoon-fed for you. That, that you are going to find it in this moment. This is one of the most brilliant poems in all of the New Testament. You're going to see things in this moment. You're like, man, I'm moved by Jesus and his grace and his goodness, okay? So be, uh, be good, engaging participants and, and spend five minutes going through this piece of paper.
All right, that was my five easiest minutes of preaching in my life right there. <laughs> dialed, absolutely dialed. Anybody listening to the podcast is like, what is even happening right now? But here, I want, okay, five minutes is not enough to study. But I, I want you to get a glimpse, right, that if you took a passage like this and spent 15, 20 minutes in, a, in the morning, you could start to just, just pull all kinds of things out. And as you read that, there's probably certain things that stood out to you, questions that you had, like, like wait, what does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn? Like, how does that work? Like, you know, and what is the blood of the cross and all these details? And I want to, now that you've done it, I want to walk you through and see how this is so effective. First, you, the first step of the read method, you got to read the text. And, and so a lot of times we're like, okay, how do I read or what do I read? And so I just want to talk through those. For, there's a couple of things you can do when reading the Bible. One, there's two approaches. One, you can read large chunks for broad understanding. This is when people do uh, like, a, like a Bible read through. And I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a year. And so you're trying to get an overall narrative. Like last year, my wife, she did the whole Bible in 90 days, and she did like an audio Bible. So she'd be in our kitchen, right? Just, you know, AirPods in, listening. And she would like pause it and look at me. She's like, I can't believe this stuff's in the Bible. Like I'm reading through the Old Testament. This is crazy. I feel like I'm listening to Game of Thrones. This is not appropriate. You know what I'm saying? She's like, these people need Jesus. I'm like, they do right? They do. Am I right? But, but the point of that is to get a broad understanding of scripture, but also you could do slowly for deep study. Something like this, where you take a smaller section and you're marking it up and you're saying, what does this actually mean? You're asking questions of it. Both are needed and effective in helping us connect in deeper love with Jesus. Paul also writes to Timothy, he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, and in every good work. All of it. We do this thing once a month with a bunch of guys. I always call it whiskey in the word. And we have a couple passages that we're, we read through and we get together and we have some tasty beverages and we talk about the Bible. And we, uh, this last time we were going through first and second Samuel and I was like, or, you know, first Samuel chapters one and two. And I was like, oh, well, this will be interesting. Like, this is just intro narrative. We're not going to talk about it a whole lot. We'll, we'll quickly move on from that. And we spent a good hour, hour and a half, just, just diving through it because we actually took the time to read and examine these scriptures. It was just so eye opening in such a good way. But let me, if you're new, to the Bible, you're like, okay, where do I start? Do I just start at the beginning? Well, again, I want you to think of the Bible. Yes, it's one story. It's a story arc, but it's also a library. So here's my encouragement as your pastor to you. If you're new to the Bible, where do you start? First, I want, I want you to read the Gospels because they're a firsthand account of the life of Jesus. And, and Jesus is the way to salvation, knowing him and his story and how we, how we walk through, the, through those. And so his disciples who walked with them wrote, wrote some of these firsthand accounts. And then they continue on in the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the church. And it's how the church progressed and moved and was birthed after the time of Jesus. Then I want you to move to what's known as the epistles. And so that is Romans all the way through Jude. And what this is, is these letters written by these apostles to the church explaining how Jesus changes everything, explaining of what it looks like to now walk and live with him now that we've, now that we've experienced Jesus and we've met the Messiah. And it even interprets the Old Testament scriptures for us. And then after that, then I want you to read the whole thing, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And, and here's why I say that. And I'm not, I'm not against starting, if you're brand new to the Bible, I'm not completely against um, starting in the Old Testament. But, but what we need is we need a gospel lens in order to actually understand the Old Testament. That, that, that this is pointing forward to Jesus. That Jesus, it, he, he is the lens in which we read all of this and understand all of this, all of this through. So I just, again, I just want to give you a couple tools. And, and they're here on that handout that I gave you, but some tools for reading, uh, things to talk about. First, every month we do, we do what's called a RISE reading plan, a Bible reading plan. And, uh, and so this is the first of the month, and so we're gonna ha we have them out in the lobby, and you'll see them. And, and it's, a, and it's a, a, something that you can follow through. Can you pull that, pull that picture up uh, there? So you can follow through on the daily reading plan, and it's written uh, by people here in our church, and it explains key themes and outline and structure, so you can kind of follow along. Now, uh, the timing of this is a little in interesting because uh, I'm, I'm 
I'm not saying don't, don't join in this, but if you're brand new to the Bible, I want you to read the Gospels. Um, because this month we're going through Ecclesiastes and we're going through uh, Revelation, right? So you're going to be like, okay, this is, I'm depressed and now this is an acid trip. I want you to start with Jesus, okay? <laughs> Because he's our lens, but it helps understand these things. But, but it's a helpful resource and tool. The second is um, ESV scripture journals. Man, they're incredible. These, these are just beautifully designed. You can buy them off Amazon. They're like five bucks. And what it is is the scripture is kind of like how that piece of paper I gave you. The scripture is on the left, and then it has journaling space on the right. And so if you're like, man, I, I want to read the book of Matthew or the gospel of John. What a great place to start because you can actually follow this REAP method and you can read it and you can kind of take notes. Um, and then lastly, um, I also want to equip you. First, let me also say this. If you do not have a Bible, you can have any Bible that in this room. If somebody is holding it and they have their name on it, you can still take it. They'll give it to you, right? But, but on the tables, we, have, we want you to own a Bible. That is, like, start seeing Jesus. So, so grab that. But another resource that is one of my favorite resources, and we're going to listen to it here in a second, is, again, out of Portland, like out of Tent City, right, is there's an organization called Humble Beast, and they did, they work with uh, spoken word artists, and they took the entire New Testament through the NLT translation, and, and they recorded uh, these, this, this audio Bible, and they put tracks behind it as a way of just listening to it. And I, I want you to actually hear this, because you can. this is our passage that we just read. I want you to hear this, so you can just hear the brilliance behind it. So you go, go ahead and play that, Danae. Christ is supreme. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I mean, is that like not the dopest version of the Bible you've ever heard in your life? I mean, you can like work out to that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like driving to work, like, like doing chores, like put, it, like download this app and just let the word just soak in. And, it, and it's just such a beautiful way. So you got to read the text. Second, you, you got to examine it thoroughly. Okay, and so you got you got to work your way through and actually understand it and, and, and the pieces of it. Thomas Carlyle put it like this: He said, "The Bible is the truest utterance that ever came by alphabetical letters from the soul of man, through which, as though a window divinely opened, all men can look into the stillness of eternity and discern, in glimpses, their far distant, long forgotten home." And it's to draw us back. But the only way to do that is we have to examine the text. We can't just read it and walk away. We got to say, what does this mean? What does this look like? And so a couple resources as you're examining. First is, is the Enduring Word Bible Commentary. It's this incredibly, it's free. It's an app you can get. A guy named David Guzik, who's a Bible teacher down in Southern California, he's kind of put it together through his years of teaching through Scripture. And he's basically taken his favorite commentaries, which is um, basically an explanation 
of different passages and some of his favorite theologians and some of the most helpful resources, and he's put it all in one place. So as you're reading through, it, it will constantly point you to examining Jesus in a deeper way. Like Here's just a, an example from our passage today. There's that phrase, the blood of the cross. You know, and, and so you read that and you can just skip by it. But this is, he, he writes this and it's just brilliant. He says, we should not regard the blood of the cross in a superstitious manner. It is not a magical potion, nor is it the literal blood of Jesus literally applied that saves or cleanses us. If that were so, then his Roman executioners splattered with his blood would have been automatically saved. And the actual number of molecules of Jesus' literal blood would limit the number of people who could be saved. The blood of the cross speaks to us of the real physical death of Jesus Christ in our place on our behalf before God. That literal death in our place and the literal judgment he bore on our behalf is what saves us. And so I read things like that and I'm like, man, just the fruit of that. Instead of just skipping past it, okay, this little phrase, I'm, like, I'm drawn into worship of Christ and his power and his grace. Another helpful resource is a good study Bible. Um, my, my favorite is the ESV study Bible, uh, but there, there's also like an NIV study Bible. I think CSB just came out with one. Even she reads truth or he reads truth. Those are really good, effective Bibles. But it helps it, it, as you're reading, it, it, if you find yourself constantly confused, it gives these great explanations, okay, of, of going through. I, I, had a, I had a resource. I'm running out of time. You guys took way too long on that five minutes, but uh, so I got to move, move through. But, you know, and then also the Bible project, being able to check out that resource. Uh, and then you need to apply it to your life. So, so you read this stuff, and then you have to say, so what? Not just check, I read it. Check, I asked questions and examined it. Now, wh- how, what does this change for me? How does this change my marriage? How does this change how I respond at work? How does this change how I actually live? Like James over and over brings up this fact of like, like, you, can't, like you can't just read the word and walk away. You got to apply it to your life. And lastly, you got to pray through it, that you would pray for the truths of the Father's goodness and love to sink deep into your heart, for the Holy Spirit's power to bring about the transformation that your desire. You're praying that Jesus would truly give you the ability to make disciples of the. I hope you see over and over and over, this is not just knowledge, because the scripture tells us knowledge, it, it can just puff up, but love, it builds up. We're praying for transformation. We want to be disciples of Jesus. And how do we become disciples of Jesus? But by knowing him, one of the ways is by knowing him deeply in the word, by spending time with him and allowing him to shape and to form and to mold and to make us. Just, I'll end with this. My, uh, on my wedding day, I had looked up, like, hey, what do you, what's a groom supposed to do? Like, I never got married before, so I was like a rookie at it, right? And so what is it supposed to do? And one of the things it says, oh, like, the bride and the groom, they write letters to each other, and they give, it, give them to each other on the wedding day. So I was like, brilliant. That's awesome. I can do that. And so uh, a day of the wedding, we're, we're doing the, the first look and taking photos, and, and, uh, and, I, and I hand her the card for her to read, and she reads and cries, and it's like this amazing thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, where's you know, where's mine? She's like, oh, I, 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 I didn't do that. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, that's fine. And then like, I was like, dang, man, like, uh, like we're our, you know, we're not even married yet. And we're in our first marital fight, you know, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that night, um, you know, we, we leave the wedding and, and, uh, you know, we, we had our, this little cottage and, and, and we wake up the next morning and we go out to breakfast before we leave for our honeymoon. And she's like, hey, I have something for you. I'm like, oh, you found a card, <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> and so she slides this journal across the table. And I'm like, you really don't know me. I don't like journaling. <laughs> you know, I don't write. And it's, it, and it's this green with this tree on the front. And uh, she said, I started writing this for you before I even met you. And I open it up and I start flipping through the pages. And just in this incredible vulnerability, She's sharing in these pages uh, the heartbreak she's gone through. She shares her fears of marriage, but the hope that she has to meet me one day. 
And then she starts praying for me as I'm flipping through this page, these pages, praying for my heart and my mind and the relationship that we would one day have. And, and my favorite page in that whole journal is about a week after we met. And it's her, her first entry in that period of time. And the first line just says, I found you. And then over the coming months, as we continue to date and we get engaged, every day she just is writing this journal, opening up her heart, praying for me, sharing the hopes for our marriage and our family. Uh, we've been married 10 years now, and that, that journal is my favorite gift I have ever received in my life. This is the scriptures, you guys, that, that out of God's love, he has chosen to reveal himself to us, to, to, to open up about the wounds and the heartbreak of sin, to share the, the hope of the gospel, to share what it looks like to have relationship with him. This is why we come to the scriptures, because Jesus has given us this opportunity to know him deeply and intimately. We just close your eyes as I read this, and then we'll continue in worship. Do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Do not expect always to get an emotional charge or a feeling of quiet peace when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may expect that to be a frequent experience, but often you will get no emotional response at all. But let the word break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by. And imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook, and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. But go on reading it until you can read no longer. And then you will not need the Bible anymore. Because when you close your eyes for the last time in death, and never again read the word of God in scripture, you will open them to the word of God in the flesh. That same Jesus of the Bible, whom you have known for so long, standing before you to take you forever into his eternal home. Jesus, we want to know you intimately through your word and personally through your word. Would we be a people of the book? Would we be your disciples? Would we be close to you? Would we look like you? And would we join you on your kingdom mission of making disciples? In Jesus' name, amen.